The grace of the Lord be with you. Amen. Today we continue in our series that we've been in since Easter, Easter Joy, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Christ is risen. It's still fun. And I still love it because it's a celebration of praise the Lord because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because he is risen from the dead, it changes everything. It changes everything for us as it did for the disciples, those who were closest to Jesus. And immediately as that news was getting out there and spreading out among them, life was being transformed. Right? And we've seen that with the resurrection stories the first day of the week when they found the empty tomb and they went running to find it and see what was going on. Now immediately they weren't so sure what it all meant. right? But there was this news, go to Galilee and wait and see, something's going to happen there. What we see today in John 21 is a story of restoration. When I was a kid growing up, uh, my dad actually still has a car that uh, is going to be 100 years old in about five years. 1927 LaSalle that he bought. It had been in a museum in Canada, um, and he got it somehow. I don't know the details of how that all worked out. Somebody in Columbus, I think, had it, and we drove up with a trailer, and we brought it back. It's like LaSalle, which is a, um, it's called an opera coupe. It's got these fenders that are like, you know, swooping, you know, big old car. Seats like three people comfortably. Um, It's enormous, and it's heavy, because all of it is solid steel, right? There's none of these, you know, fancy materials that weigh, you know, that are lightweight or whatever. Um, but a great, you know, a really fun thing. When I was, so, you know, this is like mid-70s, and so in the 70s and 80s time frame, we would take this thing to car shows because that's what you do. If you have an antique car, you take it so people can look at it and go, wow, that's cool, right? And so we'd go to these car shows, and I remember seeing these, like, other cars at the car shows. And we, I would walk around. My sister and I would just walk around looking at cars, right? This is what we Well, I would look at the cars. She was probably bored out of her mind, but I was looking at all these cars, and, you know, so somewhere in the back of my head is this, like, wow, having, a, having this, you know, classic car would be a really cool thing. That's what I, you know, had you know, thought in the back of my head. And now I've heard of people who, like, show up where there's, like, an old barn where the, there looks like there's holes in the roof, and maybe going by it, some of the siding you know, doesn't quite butt up against it. So you can see sunlight like coming through the building. And it's all dusty and like old hay and whatever in there. But under all of that is the like 1964 and a half Mustang convertible that's not in great shape. And it needs that restoration. But you can get it for a song and then you take it home and you like strip it down to the, to the frame and you build it back up and make it pristine again. They used to build Mustangs right over here at the Great Mall. I don't know which store they did that in, <laughs> but that's where they were made. Restoration isn't just for antique cars, though. It can mean to make something like new again, though, right? That's what the word restoration means. And it can begin by finding the lost. In this text, it's not a lost Mustang, but it's lost disciples. Jesus, as we know from his own word, 
his mission is to seek and to save that which is lost. And that, just, that includes people who already know him who wander off. Luke 19, verse 10, that's where he shares that mission. In the song we just sang, the reckless love of God chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves the 99. This is what Jesus does. This is what he's about. This is why he came, why he lived. And his death was to do just that, to leave not the 99, but his authority, his place in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, but to leave that and to be born, to be incarnate, to take on human flesh and frailty and pain and all of it, and then to suffer the death that he died was to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the mission of Jesus, to find and restore. It starts with finding. A couple of years ago, and I'm pretty sure it was fairly early in the pandemic time when we weren't going anywhere, Gina went to take one of our dogs for a walk, needed a house key to be able to open the door when she came home, and just the way it worked out, somebody else got home first, so she didn't need to use the key when she got there. Two or three days later, we started wondering, where's the key to the Ford and the other keys that are on that key ring? Well, we've got another key to the Ford, and we were using it to drive around, but where's the one with all the keys on it? We're looking in pockets in the, you know, in the closet. We're looking in jackets that are hanging up. We don't know. So we retraced kind of the steps of, you know, a few days ago when we went somewhere. To, no, I had the, the one key. Turned out we went all the way back to Gina taking a walk and taking the keys. Hmm. If it's not in the pockets, where could it be? So we started retracing the steps of that walk. Ben Rogers Park is a park that's over, let me just get my bearings here, that way-ish. Um, just over there, in, kind of in the middle of some neighborhoods. And we, she knew that she had been through that park, and she remembered, this is like, if I, three, four days later, I'd be like, I don't know. I walked the dog. Sidewalks, parks, what? But she knew, like, I went into the park, so we're like looking and retracing the steps and we're doing the thing. And we go th across the park. And this is a large field. And she said, well, I think I went toward that garbage can area over there. And so we're walking along. And she found the key. Laying in the grass at Ben Rogers Park like three days later. Seeking and finding that which is lost. We can be lost in a familiar location. In John chapter 21, so the disciples of Jesus, at least this group of seven, have gone to Galilee, where Jesus had told them to go, where the message had gotten back to them, so they remembered, right? Go to Galilee, there you will see him. So they went to Galilee, and this is home territory for several of these guys. And in verse 3 of John 21, Simon Peter said to the other disciples, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. Waiting was too hard, right? Waiting around, wondering how long is this going to be? What's next? What does this all mean? We're not quite sure. So we're not going to wait. Let's do something. 
let's find something that we can do. And hey, what we used to do, we could go back and do again. You know, the discouragement that they felt, the disappointment, the despair, all of the the emotions that had come over them, and Simon Peter in particular, and we're going to get to that in a couple minutes. Meanwhile, you have Saul, in Acts chapter 9, our other reading for today, tracking down the way. Now, the way was a name that was early on given to the followers of Jesus, but they were called the way. So he was pursuing his profession, and he was doing it with excellence, right? He was the number one persecutor of the earliest church, tracking down followers of the way and bringing them bound to Jerusalem. He's not messing around, right? The stoning of Stephen has happened. We're going to continue doing this. This is what we've got going. And, And Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen. So let's make sure we keep tracking this down, let's stomp this out, let's finish the job. Sometimes we find comfort in doing what we're good at, in doing what's familiar to us, in following routines that we have. And so Saul is pursuing something he's good at, and Simon Peter is doing what's familiar and what's comfortable. And neither one is on the right track. But Jesus finds us where we are. He finds us where we are. They weren't doing what they needed to be doing for God's plans, right? God had things in mind for both of these men. They weren't doing it. They weren't going to figure it out on their own. They were going their own direction. But the one who seeks and saves found Peter fishing, found Saul on the road to Damascus, and changed their lives. So part of restoration is finding the lost. Part of it is fixing the broken. And there's brokenness that needs to be fixed. For Peter, for Simon Peter, he had denied Jesus. If we back up just a few chapters, and we talked about this Good Friday. This is John's account in chapter 18, or part of it, a short part. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did, not I, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Jesus had told Peter, when Peter was like boldly, right, in this Peter way, I, I would, I, I'm not going to betray you. I would die for you or die with you. Like, I, there's no way I'm going to fall away. There's no way I would do anything other than be right next to you, sword in hand, ready to go. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Not just one time, right? Three. There's some significance in the number three. You can get away with something once. (laughs) Maybe twice. But a third time, hmm. Chosen that. You're following that path. And there by a charcoal fire, a detail that John shares in chapter 18, verse 18, and not accidentally, Peter denied Jesus. And Luke's account says that he went out and wept bitterly. So he's still in that mode. He hasn't yet 
been restored, been forgiven, been able to communicate to Jesus his sorrow and his disappointment in himself, his confession of what that he had done. So Peter had denied Jesus. Let's look back at Saul again. Sometimes we need to know we are broken first. We need to understand it. We need to feel it. We need to experience it. We need to recognize it in ourselves. And this is what happens in Acts 9 at verse 3 and 4. Saul, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is personal. Saul had to be broken before he could be restored. He's knocked down to the ground, but not just that. Knocked down from his place, from his status, from his pursuit. He needed to be completely changed in his course that he was on, and sometimes that's necessary. He was blinded in order that he would be able to see. And that blindness lasted three days. Hmm. Interesting. Sometimes we have to be broken in order to be fixed or broken enough. You ever have something that's kind of nagging, but you're like, meh, I can live with it? So I have a laptop that I use. And um, six months or so ago, the battery was just so completely unreliable that it was one of those, if you unplug it, you better be ready to plug it back in soon. Like, you get half an hour of battery usage. And the good thing about a laptop is you can take it with you and do stuff, you know, at the table or in the airport or on the airplane or whatever, but not if you have to plug it in every half hour. Then it's just a pain. It's like a desktop machine you can drag around, right? Because you have to have the power. So I thought, ah, I know what to do. I will buy a battery. So I did. So I took all the screws off, took the back thing off, found the battery cable under this thing, tilt that up, pull this out. Watch the YouTube video because you can do everything, right? Someone has already done it and recorded it. Pull the battery out, put the new one in, route the cable back where it's supposed to go, put the thing on, put the cover on, put the screws back. Done. Fired it up. Battery works. Yes. But the L key and the M key on the keyboard, not so reliable. Now, most of the time, the laptop sits in a stand and I have an extra keyboard that I use because typing on the laptop is just weird and you hit the thing where it makes the mouse go where you don't want it to be and then you're typing in the middle of a word and not where you thought you were and it's super annoying. So I use this extra keyboard all the time. And I have one of those at home too, so when I work at home, I have it sitting on the desk and then I have the extra keyboard on the in the drawer and I just, right? So I don't notice it that much. But then I take it on the airplane where I don't have the extra keyboard. And I'm like, get in there and type it up. <laughs> Find an L in the document and copy it and paste it where I want the L to be. <laughs> Super annoying. But sometimes life is like that, right? There's a thing that's annoying. There's a part of us that we think, oh, you know, I just got to get that fixed. I need to do that. I'm and, and sometimes it's our own weakness, our own sinfulness, our own thing that we kind of keep going back to. And it's annoying and it's frustrating, but we don't fix it. 
because we just live with it. And we don't bring it to the Lord because we just are embarrassed by it. And we figured out a way to work around it. Kind of keep going. It's not so broken that it just has to be taken care of right now today. Sometimes we have to know that we're broken. That we're really completely broken. That we are a broken, sinful people. You and I have no way to approach God on our own. None. That our brokenness isn't something that we can just live with and get away with and get by with and it's okay. It's not how it works. That's why Jesus died for us, see, because of our brokenness, because of our sin. But here's the good news. Jesus restores. He restores. He fixes what is broken. And he did it with Peter, and it worked out like this. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus doesn't say, Simon, do you have something that you want to tell me? Simon, let's look at the things that you did a couple of days ago. Well, a week and a half ago. Simon, let's explore, like, because it's just there, right? It's Simon Peter. He's wearing it on his sleeve. So Jesus asks him, do you love me? Not because Jesus needed to know, but because Peter needed to say it. And how many times does he ask? Three. And it's not a coincidence. Because in Peter's brokenness, he needed to say to Jesus, I love you. Now, he got frustrated along the way, but I love you. Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know what I did, and you know that I love you. And in that moment is restoration for Peter. But notice all the senses that are there. The sights. The environment, what's happening and what's going on, and even the smell. There's a charcoal fire. Charcoal fire is mentioned twice in the Bible. Two times. John 18, when Peter's standing next to it among some enemies of Jesus, warming himself. And here is Jesus is cooking bread. It's a whole submersive environment for Peter to have the reminder of where he was when but also the reminder of where he was when Jesus first found him in a fishing boat beside the water where there's fish and nets and they hadn't caught anything. Jesus restores and he does it in a full and complete way. For Saul, the Lord directed him to Damascus, to Ananias, and in a new direction for his entire life. Our forgiveness, our restoration isn't based on our love for him. That's not why Peter gets restored. Peter doesn't say it enough times so that Jesus says, okay, then fine, I love you too. After the third time. No, 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 no. Jesus' love for Peter was on full display on Good Friday when he hung on the cross for Peter's denial and Peter's sin. And his love 
was on display, full and complete display on that same Good Friday when he hung on the cross for you and for me. He doesn't love us because we love him. In fact, we love because he first loved us. That's why we love. That's why we love God, because he first loved us, because he sought us and he found us and he grabbed hold of us in the way that he can do. And he planted faith in our hearts by the power of the Spirit working in this mysterious way that allows us to believe, that calls us in this way that is mysterious to us. And he's spoken into our lives this grace and this mercy and this love that he has for us. So there's finding the lost, there's fixing the broken, and there's feeding the sheep. Jesus fed the disciples. Verse 12, he said to them, come have breakfast. Jesus often fed. Here he's feeding this small group of seven disciples and maybe a few others who might have been around, but he's feeding them fish and bread he already had. They worked all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus is there on the shore, like, chefing it up, right? And then somehow, miraculously, he's like, oh, hey, throw the nets over there. You'll get 153 fish, just like that. He feeds us. God sustains us, supplies what we need, and feeds us on his word and in sacrament so that we can be fed nourished, energized for what is to come. He provides through means that are beyond our control or our understanding. That's what happens with the disciples there in the boat, making their way back to shore frustrated. Jesus allows them to catch those fish. And he called his disciples to follow him. At the end of verse 19, Jesus said to Simon Peter, follow me. So the last words of Jesus to Simon Peter here, in a direct way, are the same as the first. Or real close, right? Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you a feeder of sheep. A tender of the flock. A, a person who cares for other people. Who takes care of things that need to happen. And here it's a redo of Luke chapter 5. Along the shore, with fishing nets and boats and the sights and smells and full-on immersion, Jesus says again to Peter, follow me. This is restoration. Peter hasn't blown it. Peter isn't out. Peter isn't the ex-disciple. There was one, but it's not Peter. And it's not you. And it's not me. He calls us again and again by his grace. He restores us to follow, and he gives us work in his mission. See, Jesus called Peter to feed his sheep after being fed. To feed the lambs. To take care of what Jesus had for him to do. And he sends him into this mission. And what's that mission look like? Finding lost, fixing the broken, and feeding the sheep. Jesus doesn't call Peter to invent anything. 
to come up with anything on his own, but only to follow Jesus and do the things that Jesus commanded. And it's the same for us. To find the lost. Those who are lost in familiar places and those who are wandering aimlessly. To fix the broken. To speak words of grace into that broken place that exists in every person. Or the people who don't recognize their brokenness. Sometimes we have to help them find it. And that's hard work. And to feed the sheep, to nourish, to strengthen, to encourage. To the glory of the risen Christ. We've been found. We've been forgiven. Let's follow. Amen. Christ is risen.